are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All right, so this week we're diving in, risking it for the biscuit, is the title of this message, risking it for the biscuit. What is worth risking it all for? Would you risk your career? Would you risk your money? Would you risk your personal safety? Would you risk your family? For me, that's where I was struggling a little bit. Like, I want to be the martyr. Yeah, sure. But when it comes to the depths of your children and your family and your parents and all those things, where does risking it stop? Have you ever thought about the signers of the Declaration of Independence? You have these stories and the ideas about people that risk something. There was 56 families. You say men who signed it, but their families got to pay the price with them who signed the Declaration of Independence. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army, and another two had their sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from the wounds or hardships of a Revolutionary War. For what? What did they sign on a document for and pledge their lives to that would cost them so much? They risked it. For what? For whose reward? Did their family get the reward? No, a lot of the times their family got the, the punishment. They got the cost. And here we are, sitting in their blood and their sacrifice. Here we are, clothed and covered by our Father in heaven, by his sacrifice. He risked it all. He risked it all. So I ask you again, what is worth risking it all for? Like many of you, uh, this week has been a rough week, right? Like at some level, if you're aware of things going on globally, and you look back, and you see people falling off of airplanes, You see 13 caskets draped by the American flag coming home. People giving it all. Great risk means great reward sometimes. And that's what risk it for the biscuit means, is everything you got. You're throwing it all in. But see, the early church was not risking it for earthly rewards, were they? 
They were sharing and preaching the gospel so that you and I could have a chance to hear it. And not just be aware of it, not just know about it, but have a chance to to consider whether we're going to submit our lives to its purpose for our blessings. Do you think that your design for your life is better than what God has planned for you? I know I'm making all kinds of plans, Lord willing. But what about his plan? What about his purpose? See, Timothy, Paul and Timothy, they risked it. Timothy was imprisoned, it says in Hebrews 13, 23. I wonder why he was imprisoned. Most likely he was imprisoned for what he taught, what he shared. I'm sure his association with Paul didn't help him. There's two stories that appear in ancient literature about how Timothy died, and they're pretty similar. They just kind of uh, digress on who was the ruler at that time or, or what happened. But here's the, the gist of the story of how Timothy died. We're in the first, uh, first Timothy, which was a letter written to Timothy for a church. And we think about Timothy. So the apocryphal Acts of Timothy states that in the year 97 A.D., at 80 years of age, Timothy tried to halt a procession in honor of the goddess Diana, Artemis. At 80 years old, he was like, nope, I remember what Paul said. We are not, like, that is not what's happening here. Still fighting goddess worship in Ephesus. He's tried to halt the procession by preaching the gospel. And the angry uh, goddess worshipers beat him, dragged him through the streets, and stoned him to death. That's how he went out. Risking it far more than the biscuit. I want to dive into the text today here, and, and, and really I want us just to resonate and let us sit on there. What does it look like in your faith? Do we truly know what it means to risk for what God has for us? Or are we getting comfortable in our intellect of the text, but not in our application of the text? First Timothy. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Even the goddess worshipers. All people. For kings and all those in authority even if we didn't vote for him, or we did. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, how is God going to accomplish this if he wants all people to be saved through the knowledge and the truth? He has picked some, some people. He picked you. Sitting in your chair right now, yes, you, to help him with this task of reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. And it's how you model it. It's how you and I are functioning out in the community. People are watching. More is, more is uh, caught than taught. They're catching you in random acts of kindness. 
They're catching you on your knees praying. They're catching you reading God's word, even though it looks like you're looking at your phone. Isn't that something? We just like take our like. Would you be so? Let's just think of like the whatever place you think you could get the most persecution, and you take your beautiful your beautiful Bible that you have, and you sit there and you're reading God's word and like excited, and you're highlighting it, and it's just a mess. And there's people, there's hundreds of people walking by. That's a risk. Like you're saying something by having this in public. You're risking something. Verse 5. For there is one God. That's a problem. Right there for the rest of, the, of, of humanity, there's a problem because there's quite a few religions that, that would disagree with that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up, gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed and heralded as an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Let's go back to that. Saying there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind is risky. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's what you're saying. Remember, we're not sprinkling a little bit of this faith, a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, and coming up with Jesus. We're like, it's Jesus or nothing. It's one God. It was risky for Paul and Timothy, and it's risky for Christians around the world today. It's so risky that millions of people, that we're not even going to know their names, have lost their life. Between 2007 and 2017, uh, they did a study and they estimated that around in that 10-year time period, about 900,000 Christians were martyred, murdered for their faith, murdered for what they professed, murdered for preaching God's word, murdered because they believed in this. Now, I don't know about you guys. I might be made fun of for reading the Bible, but I don't think anybody's taking a swing at me or shooting me in America because I'm reading the Bible. I believe it's time for us to get focused. I'm not saying like the time is near or I got some, you know, sense about what's going on, but like it's, it's time to do a gut check. How serious are we about our faith? Is this a hobby level commitment? Is it like, yeah, I'm part of the club over there, the real life club. I go there, pretty good music, pretty good, pretty good stuff on occasion. I got good coffee. Or do we actually die to self when it comes to faith? And what does that process look like? 1 Timothy chapter 4, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So godliness, this is the second time as we're going through this, I've said godliness, godliness. Godliness is the quality or practice of conforming to the laws and wishes of God. It's the quality or practice, I like the word practice there, because I'm practicing, of conforming to the laws or wishes of God. 
devoutness and moral uprightness. To be wise is to live in godliness, reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. How you doing? How you feeling? This is not a guilt sermon. I don't appreciate guilt sermons. I'm not trying to guilt anything. I just want to inspect what we expect of ourselves. So who benefits for these things? Who, who's going who's gonna, to, uh, it has value for all things, like, but like what? Like your family? You being more godly benefits your family. Benefits your spouse or future spouse, your community, your fraternity, sorority, your coworkers, how we take care of the earth. All of those things benefit as we seek towards godliness. Because when we get our eyes off ourselves and see others, when everyone is seeing a brother or sister through the lens of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when everyone sees that, we all get seen and we all get heard and we all get known and we all get loved. But it starts getting out of here and getting to here, to seeing God's people well. Continuing on, verse 8 says, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Been wrestling with that one all week. What deserves full acceptance? To have nothing to do with godless uh, myths and old wives' tales? Train myself to be godly? Godliness has value for all things? It's a trustworthy saying, he says. That's why we labor and we strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. God commanded and, uh, and, or command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Some of us are, are young in faith and old in age. But you get to start. You get to choose when you start. I start over every day. I am, what I love about our elder candidates and our elders now is they're faithful. They're available and they're teachable. They're striving and they're diving into the text. It's a lifelong habit. Goes on to say, uh, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you're you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift. You know you have a gift." Timothy had a gift. It was called out by his disciple, Paul, and he called it out. And if you have people around you in your life, they're going to call out the gifts that you have to be used for his kingdom and his purpose and his glory, not for yours. Goes on to say, be diligent. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Do you know that you can tell when somebody's growing physically? You don't say that, though. But hey, this is very mature. But you're, you can tell when you're growing physically. 
you can tell when you haven't seen somebody in a while and they're just like, you're like, whoa. Like if you saw our good uh, our founding pastor, Aaron Couch, now you would, you'd be like, whoa. It's like you've been working out and training with a trainer for a year and you're like jacked and like ripped. Yeah. You can tell that. And you know what else you can tell? Is you can tell when somebody's growing spiritually. And remember, that growth is more important than our physical growth. Our spiritual growth and what's going, what is their language? What are they talking about? What comes out of their mouth? What are they looking at? What are they excited about? Where are they putting their time and energy and effort and talents and resources? Is it of earthly things or it is of spiritual things where they're diving, in, they're diving into God's word? They're just as excited to go talk to somebody and sit down and talk to them about the Lord as they are whatever else they're doing. And you can see it. It's almost like the smoke of battle coming off people and you can tell when we're spiritually growing. So be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. In Matthew 4, 19, it says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know how you're made? You're made with God's word coming into your heart and into your soul and you're made by doing that in community and discussing it, not just reading it for your information. Talk about it. Watch your life close, your life and your doctrine closely, verse 16. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. You're the leader of this church in Ephesus. Watch what you're teaching. Watch what you believe closely. What is the story that you're telling yourself? And what is the story that you're telling to other people? And then he says, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let me ask you this question. Where in your life could you risk more for the beliefs that you hold about Jesus Christ? And are you being called to risk more? And what does that look like? Take calculated, educated risk, but what does it look like? Well, I might, somebody, might, somebody might report me at my job because I talked to somebody else about Jesus. Like, my job's not more important than somebody else's salvation. Well, it's easy for you to say, Josh, you're a pastor. You can talk to people about Jesus all the time. Yeah, but I talked to people about Jesus before I was a pastor. I think about risk. I think about this story. I remember this. Picture this. Young, thin, handsome Josh Gray and Carrie the way she looks now, always. Sitting in our house in Lolo, Montana. Holding... I remember us holding our hands. We're laying in our bed and we're holding, our, holding hands together and we're praying and praying and praying. So I thought I was going to be some big deal in the insurance business. We were doing great with, with uh, the financial side of things. And, but I felt God call me into ministry and said, Josh, you're going to use you for ministry and there's going to be some things that are going to need to change in your life. And I remember scared. Three kids, probably 11 11, 9, and 6. $1,600 mortgage. Car payment. I don't think we had any debt then. I think we learned our lesson on that one. Well, besides the car payment. And laying in our bed and holding hands, and I'm like, do you think we're supposed to do it? Because I knew that there was going to be sacrifice required. See, if you know anything about math, is if you make $40,000 a year as a pastor, you shouldn't have a sixteen dollars or $1,700 mortgage. That's the wrong way to go. 
Some people in here are like, no, like you shouldn't. And your wife was a stay-at-home mom and your three kids who are there and all the things. And when you're stepping away, like it was a significant risk. I didn't know if we were going to make it. And as a matter of fact, we didn't make it for like the first year and a half and liquidated all of our savings and all those things. Like we didn't make it. But we did make it. And so I'm not telling you a story like, well, good for you, Josh. There's a risk. Like you have these moments in your life where you're going to meet it and you're going to have to say like, okay, where's the risk? Like, is it going to be worth it? Am I going to pursue this? What is the risk? And what's it for? And we went on a journey of learning how to risk for our faith. And I can tell you, it is well worth the journey. That doesn't mean going in ministry, just making those decisions as you see things. As you see a need, you fill it. Because there's a cost. Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I was thinking about this. I was like, I mean, what do I got to learn to rewind back and deny myself? Like I've denied myself, but I don't feel like I live in the world of denying myself as I was at Costco yesterday. What do I have to deny? Take up my cross and follow me. For whoever comes to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Sounds like a lot of risks, doesn't it? And it's not just about your life. It's about your family's life. It's about your grandkids' life. It's the future. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What are you willing to exchange in your life for your brother or sister's soul? What kind of historic faith is it going to take for this group of Christians to change our community? A group of military men, ex-military men, use their own resources, their own time, their own money, and risk their lives to go take 8,000 folks out of Afghanistan. That's extraordinary risky, isn't it? We all have great wealth. What are we going to do with it? Your wealth of knowledge. Your wealth of freedom. The offer that our Savior gave us to walk with him. Are you willing to risk it? For the Jesus biscuit. What course corrections in your life could happen? And what could be the result of historic faith and historic risk? Our faith will require risk. We all risk. Let's take this time to come to the table as we think about the sacrifice and the risks that were made from the apostles to all of these martyred folks. And we come to it every week. Don't take it in vain. Don't take it just, okay, sure, yeah, that's neat. No. We come to the table to reset. We come to the table to honor 
what God has done in, in the past and what he's going to be doing in the future through you and me and people all around us. If you need a communion, uh, we have guys rolling around here. If this is an open table. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in. If you don't, just let it pass you by, and we're going to take it together. But I want us to take some time to directly, in directed prayer, and I want us to pray specifically uh, for those who hopefully entered the grace of our Lord, and Je- our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this week, those military men and women who sacrificed to all of those folks that, are, that we don't even know about. That's just what we know about. But I'm sure there's a hundred times more people that entered that, entered that walk that we don't even know their names. And so let's praise God for this that allowed them to live forever and eternity and not have this be the final story and not have this be the end. Their beginning just started. So Father God, as we come to you this week, we come to the sacrifice that you paid. You risked it all. You gave us your one and only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Lord, this is not, I just, I know it's not just a, 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 a Bible verse or 316 or those things. Lord, this is the very heart and essence of who you are. And I just ask, Father God, that you would just let us to see it. Let us to see it the way that you see it. Let us hold it near and dear to our hearts that the things of this world are temporary, but you are eternity. And so, Lord, for those families that are suffering right now, for the caskets that we see and the caskets that we don't see, the massive graves. Father God, the people that are just are, are, are going to you right now for believing in your name, I praise you for making a pathway. I praise you that you wish none to be lost and that your children are coming to you, Father, and I can imagine how you feel as you're gathering up your children. Let us do our part so we can bring others with us to the, to the saving grace of who you gave us in Jesus Christ. Let me say that in your name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took the, commun- or the, took the bread and he held it and he said, this is my body. He gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the risk that happened. In the same way, he took a cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Father God, we proclaim it. Father God, again, we just come to you as a body of believers. Lord, I ask that your word uh, would, just, would just fall upon everyone in here. That we would evaluate that you would continue to have me have introspection and evaluate where am I risking it? To know that none of us have arrived, that we have opportunity for risk to make your name great, to make your name more powerful, Lord, as we submit to you and to your will, as we seek to see what it looks like to be more like you, to be godly. 
Father God, I ask you to empower the people in this room in a mighty way, that you would speak to them through others, through your word, through prayer, through circumstance, all of those things. Father God, you would just come down into their lives in a mighty way this week. They would hear your voice. They would hear your pre- or feel your presence. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.